Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 8 and verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. We're living in a dark world, aren't we? It seems to be getting darker every day. But it's always been dark. And the Prince of Darkness has had his way in the lives of many people. I love to see Christmas lights that are decorating the darkness of a Michigan night. Now they remind me of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, ye are the light of the world. And he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I've been impressed this week with the concept of light and darkness. In our Bible reading on Friday, we read in Ephesians, for ye were sometimes or at one time darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And then Ephesians 5.14, uh, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And then Saturday, we're in Philippians 2.14 and 15, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I've also been listening to Handel's Messiah a lot. And uh, it's stuck in my brain, Isaiah 9-2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And then I received a, a letter from a mission work in Tanzania. And the title of the, arg- uh, of the article was, From Darkness to Light. So I said, okay, Lord, I know where you want me to go this Sunday. <laughs> They were telling about a mission team that was traveling through remote villages and assisting national pastors in Tanzania. And during a seminar in one of the villages, a group of Maasai tribal leaders with machetes came in and circled the auditorium where the people were meeting. They were invited to sit down, but they refused. And the men were staring at the, at the pastors, and they questioned them. Tell us why you are here. Explain to us what you're teaching to our people. And the men listened intently as the missionaries and national pastors began sharing the gospel. And the Maasai head leader responded immediately. He had never heard the message of forgiveness. And that impacted his life in such a way he was moved to tears. He accepted Christ as his savior. And along with him, 55 others from the village, from darkness to light. The title of the message this morning is taken from John 8:12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The title, The Light of the World, is Jesus. Our theme will center around the identity of that light this morning, and then our theme tonight will be the effect that that light has on our lives. Um, John... 8:12, we have the claim of Jesus and the call to follow. So the claim, I am the light of the world. Let's consider that claim in light of the, the Old Testament in the context of what the, the children of Israel knew when they heard Jesus saying it on this day as they're in the temple thinking back about uh, all that God had done for them. David identified the light of Christ in the Psalms. Psalm 27.1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
He also wrote in Psalm 36, 9, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed that light that would come. Isaiah 9, 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath that light shined. And Isaiah prophesied that because of the sins of the children of Israel, God would punish them by allowing them to be carried away into other nations. And they were, they were afraid. They wanted to know what are the specifics, what are the details about this captivity? What's going to happen to us? And they, were, they turned not to Christ, not to the Bible, not to the prophets, but to the fortune tellers. Here's what God told Isaiah in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verses 19 and 20. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto the wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living to the dead, that is, should they not seek the living God instead of trying to communicate with the dead for advice? Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to thy word, to this word, it is because there is no light in them. How do we know Isaiah was writing about that great light who is Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have a direct quote from, in the New Testament from Isaiah's prophecy that confirms it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. Verse 14 said that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, and then verse 16, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and sat shadow of death, light is sprung up. Isaiah also wrote in chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. He's saying, arise, shine, give out the light that you've been given. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say this is not merely the Shekinah or cloud of glory that rested above the ark in the old dispensation, but the glory of the Lord in person. These words are the words that Simeon used when he held the baby and the, the, the Christ child in his arms. In his old age, he wrote, or said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Amazing that he'd quote Isaiah 700 years later as he sees the Christ child. He says this, this was God's prepared plan for all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles, those who are, they're not members of that Jewish race, God's chosen people, but now all nations. D.A. Carson calls this the first mention, that is in Luke chapter 2, the first mention of universal redemption that had been promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah had prophesied that Messiah would be a light that would bless all nations. Isaiah 42, verse 6, 
He said, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. He said the same thing in Isaiah 49, verse 6 at the end. I will give thee a light for the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Christ here is also called the glory of thy people, Israel. Jesus is the glory of Israel, whether he's recognized by them or not. John 1, 11 and 12, he came unto his own, that is his own people, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, that is open to all of us, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Back to Isaiah 63, it ends with the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings and rulers, uh, kings, uh, the rulers of those nations to the brightness of thy rising. That looks ahead to the time of Christ's millennial kingdom on earth. The light that brings salvation will be fully recognized when Jesus establishes that reign on earth. So that's the Old Testament. Let's look at the context in the Gospel of John, where this is said, in John 8, 12. Jesus, again, saying, I am the light of the world. Where is he? He's in the temple. Now, four weeks ago, we were in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and we had that, uh, that encounter that Jesus had with the man born blind. And he said to his disciples in, in that passage, verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John 8, Jesus said the same thing. I am the light of the world. It was at the end of the week that they had celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus and his disciples were there in the city of Jerusalem. This was one of the three pilgrimage feasts that the, that the men were required to attend. There were only three of them. Passover and Pentecost were celebrated in the spring. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated in the fall. It lasted Seven days. It was a time when the children of Israel would set up these temporary structures, the, the Feast of Succoth or booths. And so they would, they would build these lean-tos, these structures out of sticks and with branches on the top, some kind of a tent to stay in for the week. And it reminded them of their wilderness wanderings. By now, when Jesus stands in the, in the temple, he, the feast has ended. And, and the people were, were gathering in, in that outside court to hear Jesus teach again. It was in the morning. In their minds were fresh these memories of God's guidance and provision for them in the wilderness. He led their fathers out of Egypt. And they would recall how he led them by that cloud of, of fire at night and the, the cloud by day, the pil pil pillar of fire by night. During the Feast of the Tabernacles, there were great lamps that were lit. The wicks were made from the worn-out garments of the priests. You always wonder, what did they do with those? They used them to burn the, the oil. And the light was bright enough to see and illuminate the temple area as the people celebrated that Feast of Tabernacle. And those giant lamps were in the court of the women, also known as the treasury. And that's where Jesus was standing. If you look down in John chapter 8, down to verse 20. In contrast to those lamps, he's saying, I am the light of the world. In their eyes, the sun would have been rising over uh, the Mount of Olives. 
It was to the east. And Jesus is claiming that his brightness outshines that of the sun. The words of the hymn had not been written yet, but they were still true. Fair is the sunshine. Fair are still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry hosts. Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. They didn't know that song yet. I'm glad it's been written. But they did have the Old Testament scriptures. And they may have thought of these two verses, Psalm 84:11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, S-U-N. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Malachi 4.2, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, again, capital S-U-N, speaking of Christ, arise with healing in his wings. And there he was, standing in that morning, as the morning rays would, would shine, and Jesus shines brighter. And now in their ears, they're hearing the words of the Messiah, I am the light of the world. So consider what Jesus was saying in this claim. I am. That speaks of the eternal nature of God. It's the name that God used when he told Moses to let the children of Israel go out of Egypt. He's going to deliver them. In Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. His eternal name. I am the light. That phrase has the definite article. I am the light. Jesus is saying he is the only light. There is no other illumination of the soul that can take place without Christ. He's the one who shines into our lives to give the knowledge of salvation. He's the one who guides us on the path as he wants us to live daily for him. I am the light of the world. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, we read, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. In 1 John 2, 2, he's the propitiation for our sins, the Bible says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I am the light of the world. This claim reveals the character of Christ. Ever wonder why all the, the different names of Jesus are mentioned in the Bible? There are more than 20, about 20 to 22, that are his formal names that reveal who God is. And then there are several references to him that identify their descriptive names that reveal what he's like. In the Old Testament, we have those formal names, uh, El Shaddai, the Almighty, Jehovah, the Eternal God, Elohim, the Creator, and then all of the compound names with Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Tzitkenu, the Lord my righteousness, Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Shema, the Lord who hears, 
All of these names. Why? Because God wants us to know who he is. His name is not just a title. It's a reference to his character. And you learn what it's like to follow him as your shepherd when you're going through difficult times in your life. And so we have those formal names. We also have the descriptive names. And this that Jesus is using here, I am the light of the world, is the second of seven I am descriptive terms that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John. His claim of Christ reveals our need. The world needs Jesus. There has to be illumination for man to see his need. You ever have somebody turn, come in the room and you've been reading and the sun has gone down and your, your eyes are straining and, and someone turns a light on and you go, oh, thanks, I didn't know I was sitting in the dark. That makes it a lot easier. Jesus illuminates our hearts, our minds with the gospel. The light shines in the darkness. That's where the light is needed most, in the darkness. We complain about darkness. But that's where the light will shine brightly. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 again, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He's the source of life. In him was life. There is no other place where you will find eternal life. It is in Christ Jesus. He came to illuminate men, to show us that he is the true light. He came as the one who shines in the darkness. And it says that the darkness couldn't comprehend or overpower the light. The word uh, comprehend is, is catalambano. It can't overtake it. It can't capture it. Darkness can never destroy the light of Christ. The world tries to extinguish that light. If you look further with these uh, in John chapter 8, you'll see the Pharisees attempting Jesus, from his light, from shining into them. They didn't want to have their sin-darkened hearts illuminated for what they were. Light penetrates. It reveals the, 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 the darkness of sin, the awfulness of sin. And God does that because we need to see ourselves as we really are. We can't be saved unless we recognize we're sinners. And that's what his light reveals. John three nineteen. this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Why does the world not like it when you tell them about the, the gospel of Christ? Because you're shedding the light on their darkness. Verse 21 of John 3, but he that doeth truth, that is those who, who love Christ, who are obedient to him, he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And so when you're obedient to Christ, you want those deeds to be seen. And when not, you want them hidden. And that's the claim of Christ. I am the light of the world. Second half of the verse is the call. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What does it mean to follow Christ? In John chapter 10, in verses, uh, verse 4 and 5, we read, And uh, when he putteth forth his own sheep, 
talking about Christ the shepherd, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. It means to follow Christ means to to put your faith in him for salvation. It means to continue following him as your shepherd. So you trust him as your savior, you follow him as your shepherd, trusting him for that provision in your life. He'll provide all you need. He'll, He'll provide the protection that you need. He'll provide guidance that you need. So it means not only following his voice, but also not following the voice of the stranger. A stranger, verse 5 says, will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So a true believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ, will recognize that uh, I'm not going to follow the voices of strangers. Philip Keller is a shepherd. He's a Christian, he knows the good shepherd, and he writes about his experiences with sheep in light of the scriptures. And he writes, It used to amaze and intrigue visitors to my ranches to discover that my sheep were so indifferent to their voices. Occasionally, I would invite them to call my sheep, using the same words and phrases which I habitually employed. But it was all to no avail. The ewes and lambs and even the rams would simply stand and stare at the newcomers in rather blank bewilderment, as if to say, who are you? Today, people who claim to be sheep are following strangers. They don't recognize the voice of the true shepherd. Listen to his voice. How do you do that? Spend time with him. Open his word. Recognize the false voices that are around you, telling you how you ought to live, how they think you should govern your life, how to train your children, how to build a church. These are all strange voices. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Those who follow Christ will not walk in darkness. We've said before, Satan is the prince of darkness. That's his domain. That's where he controls. And if he can keep people from trusting in Christ, they'll be lost in that eternal darkness. Matthew 8, 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing or grinding of teeth. Now, what does it mean the children of the kingdom here? a Hebrew expression meaning the children of this age. Those who were born into the nation of Israel thought they had the right to enter God's kingdom, but they needed a spiritual rebirth. Everyone does. Whatever race we're in, we need to be born again. We need salvation. There's a real place of eternal punishment known as hell. It's a place of isolation It's a place of darkness. It's a place of pain. Do we have verses for that? Yes, we do. It's described as a place of outer darkness. So a place here, as we've read, where there will be weeping and and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41 tells us it's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. God never intended for people to go there. They deliberately reject Christ and end up there. I'm amazed at how many people believe the lie that there isn't a hell 
that hell is, is not a place of eternal punishment. The Bible is very clear that it is. One writer thinks that outer darkness is simply the place outside of heaven, and he calls it heaven's suburbs. The Bible clearly teaches a place of eternal torment, a punishment for the person who rejects Christ as the only sacrifice for their sins. Matthew 25, 46, these shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, who shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Jude 7, even Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, having in like manner with these given themselves over to fornication and go after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the punishment of eternal fire. I read of a new Christian who was on the plane with an intellectual atheist next to her. He was making fun of her for reading her Bible. And he asked, do you really believe that book? And she said, yes. And he said, even the Jonah and the whale story? And she said, yes. He pressed further. Explain how that happened. She said, I I, I don't know, but I'll find out when I get to heaven. And he said, oh, but what if Jonah isn't there? And she said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) Hell is a very real place. Christ has the power to save man from the bondage of his sin. I love the words Charles Wesley wrote in the hymn, And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. We have the joy of displaying the brightness of the gospel to a world lost in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 7, I'll use this passage and then we'll be done. We can't keep the gospel hidden. Verses 3 and 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If the gospel, if the gospel that we know that has changed our lives is hid, who doesn't see it? Those that are lost. The very ones who need to see how to be saved. Let's not hide the gospel. How are they blinded? Two things are going on. Satan has blinded their minds. He's kept them from thinking about it. He's kept them from seeing what the Bible says. Satan has blinded the minds. And notice also, of those who believe not, they refuse to believe. What's needed for man to be saved? The light of the glory of the gospel of the Christ. He's the image of God. He shines into a lost and dying world. So we we must not hide the gospel. Instead, we must preach Jesus Christ. Verse 5 tells us he is the message. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. There are many 
who stand and preach themselves instead of Christ. Charles Hodge writes, to preach oneself is to make oneself the end of preaching. That is, preaching with the design to attract to ourselves the admiration, the confidence, or the homage of men. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. His light illuminates our hearts, verses 6 and 7. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The identity of the one who gave us this light, he's the God of creation. The one who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's going all the way back to the beginning of creation. Let there be light. Genesis 1-3. And there was light. The impact of that light, the same God hath shined in our hearts. He hath enlightened our minds, our inner man, to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He shows his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the glory. Just like he is Israel's glory, he is the only glory that we can look to the one who gives salvation. And the earthly vessels that hear that light or that, that, that bear that light, here's the wonderful thing. Verse 7, we have this treasure. The gospel of Christ, the person of Christ, the, the one who's the image of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're clay pots. We're created out of dirt. God knows what we are. And he's chosen to put this wonderful treasure of salvation in earthen vessels. Why? The reason is given, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not the frame that makes the painting valuable. It's the painting. The gospel is what is the treasure. And even though it's placed in human vessels of clay, it still has an excellent power. It's the glory of God. No reason for boasting in the vessel, but only in the power of God. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Have you come from the darkness of your sin and into the light of Christ? You can do that today. You're sitting among people who have done that. We're not saved because of any value that we have or any merit of our own. We're treasures of God's grace. Jesus also said, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Are you walking in that light today? Are others coming to the light because of your testimony? Are you shining brilliantly to the world? This morning, we read those, verse, those words of Jesus, I am the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus will say, ye are the light of the world. We'll look at that tonight. But I trust that we'll be greater vessels that shine brilliantly and brightly. The gospel that people need to see, the gospel that they need to hear, the good news that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you came to this dark earth, were born in a manger, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death because of your love for us, because of your desire to be praised for your glory. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior, that today will be the day of salvation. We thank you that that plan of salvation is simple. 
A child can understand it. A child can respond. And so we ask, as the light of your word has been shared this morning, that it will illuminate a darkened heart, and they will turn to you and trust you as Savior. And may we go from this place, shining brightly in a dark world, so that others might see the Savior, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.